Station. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Mind Your Business, a sponsored spin-off of the Call to Action podcast that gives inspiring, unusual or simply very likable businesses a chance to share their story. In a world where most businesses blend together like a briefcase filled with slightly smaller briefcases, we're seeking out the business leaders who are standing out in their sector and doing things very much their own way. It's like reading a business book with the word guru in the title, with the single but vital exception that it won't make you do a little sick in your mouth. It is, as always, brought to you by Gasp, and I'm still Giles Edwards. For those who joined us in previous episodes, check the show notes to skip forward a few minutes to the start of this week's episode. This is the third and final episode in our special series with Startle, a talented tech company who curates music for brands looking to deliver customer experiences within spaces spanning retail, hospitality and beyond. Music is too powerful to be left in the background, so using a combination of music and tech guided by behavioural science, Startle apply an approach they call Music Plus allowing them to create branded atmospheres capable of hitting commercial objectives. Whether you're a food operator looking to get customers chewing faster, a retailer wanting to get shoppers shopping longer, or simply a fan of behavioural science and its application across a range of industries, stay with us to find out why the music sounds better with Startle. For those tuning in for the first time, here's a quick recap from episode one with Startle CEO Adam Castleton. So we help brands create atmospheres and we make sure that those atmospheres achieve some kind of business objective, whether that's making people change their perception of a brand, eat their meal quicker, dwell for longer. Um, so that's the first bit what we do. We, we create an atmosphere using behavioral science and music. Um, the second piece, which is actually the really hard thing, is to replicate that at scale across an entire estate. So our technology platform allows people to deliver that consistent atmosphere across all of their stores once we've designed it perfectly in, in one or a handful. For the encore, we've got the band back together with Adam, CEO, creative director, James, and playlist manager, Magnus. Welcome back to the show, Adam, James, and Magnus. Hello. Thank you. Hello. So Adam, in episode one, you mentioned expectancy theory, but you didn't tell us what it is. I was saving it for episode three. (laughs) So what is it? It's absolutely fascinating. And ultimately, it's that people's opinion of something is influenced by what they expect it to be like prior to experiencing it. There's a whole ton of studies around this. Uh, The famous ones are typically based on drinking Coca-Cola or Red Bull as two examples, two brands that have been massively marketed over many years. And that is people like Coca-Cola more in taste tests if they know they are drinking Coca-Cola, same for Red Bull, than if they didn't know what they were drinking. So that tells you that the expectation of experiencing something is influencing the experience itself. And that works both ways. It works positively and it works negatively. We've worked with some brands that have a negative perception of their brand. And actually, we love working with these companies because they've got good brands that need to be shaken up a bit. And actually, when they do taste tests of certain products, so cakes are an example, cheese is another one, 
people like it less when they know the brand of cheese that they're eating. It's the same cheese. So clearly our expectation has an impact of, of what people um, expect to experience. Um, so yes, we say, well, it works in both ways. It can make an experience better if people expect to have a good time, they're more likely to have a good time. If people expect to have a bad time, they're more likely to, to actually experience a bad time. However, if you get it right, it really is a bias where you can win twice. If you get to the stage where people expect to experience a great time with you when they visit your establishment, they're more likely to have great times when they come back to you. But also because it sticks with them uh, as a brand association, it safeguards you in future because sometimes, you know, everybody will drop the ball at some point. You will have a bad experience at one point. And if people expect to have a good time, they'll be more forgiving if something doesn't go wrong, if the service is slow, if there's a problem with the food, for example. So expectancy theory is something that all brands, including retail and hospitality brands, should be looking at is how do we change the perception of what people expect to visit when they visit, because that will change the actual experience. And how do we embed that long term so that we can win twice and people will be more forgiving if we do drop the ball? Okay, so there's clearly two distinct parts there. There's the idea of what something is going to be like and then the reality of what it is like. I'm assuming that you play pretty much in the second of the two, but you need to work and advise clients on the first. Is that right? Or am I missing where your product comes into play? Well, it could be first impressions. Um, so if people go to a store for the first time, they have a great experience, leave. That is the great opportunity to set a first impression. So we are there from the first touch point right through to repeat visits. When it comes to repeat visits, it might be actually that it's not the same store or it's not the same type of engagement. It might be a pickup order versus, you know, dwell times shopping in store or even a drive through experience. Now, you need to consider all of those touch points as one, um, because whatever experience you give that customer will be the lens through which they experience your brand and future. So, yeah, we advise early on we can help establish that first impression, but also we can help consistently reaffirm that position, that experience over time so that people just have a better perception of a brand when they visit. That must be so much easier if you're just a short, small chain of stores, a small independent rather than a franchise that's based across the whole of the huge geographies. Yeah, the challenges are very different. What we find is that if it's an owner-managed chain, so we work with some great sort of smaller London-based food chains, for example, that are growing, and they get to the point at which you need to establish a head office, a management team, um, area managers, and so on. So we work with these brands, and actually we've seen them successfully, but navigate those challenges. Um, so if we can take something from them, so we don't want people to be switching playlists, changing screen content, changing volumes, tweaking their lighting. We, that should all be automated. Anything that can be automated should be automated so that the area managers can worry about the stuff that you know cannot be automated and has to be done by, by site staff. And you can do that through obviously training and methodologies and so on. So yeah, we um, independence, you'll get to the point, it's typically 10 to 12 locations. They start looking at head offices, teams and so on. But then we work with very large companies, both UK and US, that will have, you know, the largest client, probably about 1,800 separate locations. And they need to offer a great customer experience across this as a US client. So we can use technology to make sure that the music that's playing is the branded music that's playing. We can see if it's turned off, if the volume is wrong, we can override that volume. So we can actually set some controls 
in place to ensure that if you visit any one of this brand's locations, you're going to get the same experience from a music signage perspective, you know, which you can't do if you're doing that yourself. Are there any stores that do it particularly well? I mean, I'm, in terms of consistency, I think you'll struggle to beat McDonald's, but that's more so the product and the consistency of the environments. Yeah, so Shoe is a client of ours. And I think the everyone I've been in has the same look and feel. And by look and feel, I mean the actual feel. How do you feel when you go in one of these locations? That's from the style of the store, the content. They have this sort of recognizable two screens at the entrance, um, screen content within the store. Music that's typically slightly louder than you'd expect. Very upbeat music, great customer service, payment on terminals at the store instead of having to go to a, to a checkout. So there are these consistent, recognizable features that they've delivered. Actually, most of those examples are through a good implementation of technology. And yes, you'll go there and you'll have a consistently positive experience. So you expect it every time that you, you go into a shoe and you'll be more forgiving if at any point um, that's not delivered. And a good example, actually, shoes, a lovely example. I took my son there to get his first like proper shoes. And I didn't at the time know that shoe specialized in children's shoes. Typically, again, brand expectation, you'd go to Clark's as a parent. I didn't know that, that shoe did this. Um, so I took my boy there. He put his shoes on um, with great customer service. They were converse, exactly the same or very similar to what I was wearing. He started dancing to the music and he was too young to know that that was music that, that we were providing. And it was just so good to experience as a customer this vibe that we'd designed and it working with a child that I had not influenced, but obviously had a direct um, observed <laughs> experience of. And they gave him a balloon and off he went and our loyalty for children's shoes, separate to them being a customer, is shoe. Because we know you're going to get a good experience, like you'd expect from well, the reputation of, of Clark's. But they converted us and made us loyal for that reason. I love the power a balloon or something seemingly trivial can have on an experience. Yeah, and it's consistent because we've been back, um, you know, six months later, different store because we moved house. He didn't dance, but a similar experience happened. <laughs> you know, great customer service, balloon given, good music right volume it's just very consistent nice the purpose of this mini series isn't to narrate from or give away too much of the book's contents but i want to touch on one more of the heuristics that exist within which is the peak end rule because it follows on nicely from expectancy theory and it's appropriately a good topic to finish on so james and magnus can one of you explain what the peak end rule is and how does it work in retail and hospitality? So it's a psychological concept. I won't say heuristic. I, well, I always seem to trip up on that word. But it's in which people remember or judge their experiences mostly based on how they felt at its peak and at its end, therefore peak end rule. So this is rather or compared to um, almost like an average or total sum of, of how they were feeling uh, generally in that experience. This is not made up, but yesterday I actually recalled um, my experience in a hotel in France, and it's a, a big chain of hotels. And I was like talking about it and thinking about this peak moment. And so reception had set up this kind of jar, almost big, large jar of lots of little scrolled up pieces of paper. And if you pulled one out, 
on it was a location in Paris. And if you took a photo outside that location and showed it to them when you came back, you would get a free drink. And I thought that's (laughs) such like a fun game to play if you're out sightseeing. But weirdly, so that was my peak moment, but my end moment was having packed up all um, of my stuff and getting ready to leave the hotel. I thought, I'm just going to, you know, make work on this almond croissant that's in my pocket. I mean, it'll be fine. And then someone from the hotel came up to me and said, oh, you're actually not allowed to eat outside food here. And weirdly, those are the two things I remember about the hotel experience. So, of course, this peak and... I mean, I guess a slightly embarrassing end. So, and so overall, then versus a total average, was it a good experience, or was that too tricky to? I thought, you know, I think it was a good experience, but at the forefront of my mind is the end. Um, It's kind of which was negative and, and kind of stood out, I guess, based on the overall experience. But when I'm recalling. Well, my um, time within that hotel chain, I'm thinking of this moment, which was the peak, and I'm thinking of how it ended, which sadly ended in crumbs of almonds everywhere and (laughs) an unhappy um, face from myself. So, Magnus, have you got anything to add on peak end rules and and the context of retail and hospitality? Sure, yeah. Um, I think in terms of the music, I think there are two ways that you can perhaps reach peak end rule so firstly let's take chase as an example we do the music for the airport lounges um and they have different zones of music so in their bar area is very upbeat very lively very energetic then they have these wellness areas too that are extremely mellow it's not quite spa music but it's pretty close so for example if you're in the bar very very lively lots of people chatting and then you go into that wellness area and the the contrast between those two zones of music will be pretty noticeable so that's a kind of that's the kind of where you can reach the peak aspects of the peak end rule through separating the zones of your music we also just published a blog on something called musical commonalities which is essentially the idea that you can weave playlists together using tracks that seem quite disparate, but so long as they have a common thread that is a musical feature, which might be texture, rhythm, production style, etc. So how this can work in terms of reaching peaks through a single playlist, which would be nice in venues where you spend less amount of time because you might not necessarily go through different zones, is you can hear a song and be like, whoa what the hell like I was not expecting to hear that like a hip-hop tune might be thrown in because it has that musical commonality so that's the kind of way that you can reach those peaks and every time you hear that tune you then might be transported back to that occasion where you heard it um so those are two, those are two quite nice examples of of how that actually operates musically it's like playing musical scrabble as long as there's one overlapping tile. Exactly. That is the perfect way of putting it yeah I'm going to move to industry questions because we have sourced a fair few. A special thanks to Sean, who's the owner at 30 Seconds Out Apparel. Sean was mentioned by Magnus, a good example in episode two. Sean sent a few questions, including every store owner wants to increase revenue. So isn't there one playlist that does this best? And why don't we all just use that one? I'm going to put that to you, Adam, because I mentioned this in episode one, or at least hinted at it. It's a, it's a great question, by the way, but distinctiveness is on the floor. So one of the biases we talk about is the von Restoff effect. 
um, which is about being different, noticeable, memorable. And if everyone was playing the same thing, it would all be the same. And that's actually one of the traps that a lot of retailers fall into in that they look for inspiration inside their own industry and end up sounding very similar. Um, so one of the things we always try to do is look for inspiration intentionally outside of an industry because that mimicry can be actually unintentional. So yes, in theory, you could scientifically isolate certain tracks that have the optimum impact on people, but it would be at the cost of your entire brand. Uh, and ultimately then that wouldn't work. But it's not really about playing Ed Sheeran or Adele or whatever. It's about what are the features of that track that Magnus talked about. Uh, and they are shared in hundreds of thousands of tracks. And also when you start adding nuances around context and how you want people to feel as well as just driving revenue. Because again, we talked about the short-term, long-term effects of the influence that we can have on people. Actually, I think that long-term effect is more important than the short-term revenue gain. So actually what you end up with is a complex web and a balance. So although I think it's a, an amazing question, because I've never been asked that before, it would come at great cost and ultimately then wouldn't work. But certainly there's a pool of music that works better for certain objectives than others. Yeah, you hinted at it in episode one. And I always come back to dwell time because it's one that I think my head can wrap itself around easier than other examples where in a restaurant you might want to increase the speed because you've got covers coming and, and you need people to eat quicker. Whereas dwell time in, say, buying a car, I think was the example you gave, you want to slow the people down so that their decision-making process is more considered. So I suppose in both examples, you've got a commercial benefit, but the actual behaviour you're trying to influence is opposing. So actually, there can't be one size fits all because it comes back to that behavioural science with intent. Yeah, absolutely. And quite often, actually, the choice you're making is, do you want to get more revenue out of the customers you have, or do you need extra throughput to get more revenue out of the customers that you don't yet have? So a restaurant, it might be that you can keep people at the table longer, they're more likely to order dessert, another wine, something like that. But again, it depends very specifically on the customer, the context at which people are in your establishment. And like you say, a car purchase, if you were to make people feel rushed to get extra throughput, actually you would reduce your sales because it requires a considered purchase. People don't buy cars on impulse, typically. Same in fashion, actually. There's a range between higher-end fashion, mainstream, and also lower-end. We work with some lower-end brands. I say lower, it's sort of the cheaper end of the market. And actually they want a bit more impulse. So when they're quiet, we intentionally try to create a bit of impulse but actually their environments can be a bit stressful so when they are busy you might want to chill people out because they don't buy because they're too stressed so there's so many nuances when you start to really understand what it is that the, the environment that you're working within yeah i was in danger of allowing this to be one of the three episodes where i hadn't mentioned rory sutherland so to correct that he gives a great example i think it was aston martin who stopped displaying at luxury car shows and instead took them to luxury boats and yacht shows because when you're looking at six seven million pound yachts all day an aston martin does then become an impulse buy which you correctly said it isn't uh, in in normal context i'm going to ask question two to magnus because i think it nods perfectly to the example you just gave when we were talking about peak end rule but actually might force you to go a little bit deeper magnus so 
The question is, is it best to have one type of music playing throughout our store or different styles in areas like drawing room versus retail floor? So I suppose it's different environments within a particular one brand. I think if your venue has the space to allow you to have different zones of music, then I think that's definitely the the most impactful route to go down. I mean, if it's a small venue and your dressing rooms are, it's just a curtain, you're going to have like three different types of music bleeding over each other, which will sound terrible. But if you have essentially separate rooms and you can separate your music through zones, that's definitely the most powerful way to go. Because like I said previously, mapping out the customer journey where there are different peaks that they can latch onto based on the research does make people remember experiences and brands more favorably and more intensely was the first part of that question about whether you should have one type of music playing yes yeah so with that like i said about the musical commonalities and and how you rightfully said musical scrabble which i i'm definitely going to (laughs) pinch to keep playlists distinctive fresh unique you want to be using different types of music they don't have to be massively different but they do need to have that common thread throughout otherwise you're then verging into that middle gray sludgy area we've spoken about but that's that's essentially what james and i and our curators do is we look at tracks to make sure they have that common thread and it's a pretty foolproof way of doing it i just want to add another example where we've used two different types of sound in two distinct areas have you ever walked into a room and forgotten what it is that you went in there for like most people have it's like a known phenomenon 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 it's called the doorway effect where going through a physical entrance is like a reset of your brain and actually what we have done is we've played natural sounds within restrooms toilets of locations to a few reasons One is to bring the mood back down. So when they re-enter the space, they're lifted back up again. So they get two boosts of mood. One when they enter the location, also one when they leave the toilets and go back into into the store or restaurant. And the second reason, actually, is that you can make an environment seem cleaner if you play natural sounding sounds, whether that's music or birdsong or or whatever. So we've cleaned toilets with music and reset people's brains through doorways um, by just having (laughs) different types of sounds in two different locations within one establishment. We interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads. Ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the pod's host, Giles Edwards, on giles at gasp.agency. Only the other day, some pod-listening companies did just that, asking whether we'd stick our sponsored spin-off nose into their business next. But we're not asking you to do that. Nope. Anyway. Back to the show. I'm going to put this third question to you, James, which is in brick and mortar retail, what are the measurable advantages of using a curated playlist versus letting employees play their favourites in the shop? So my my first response is control. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you let the team curate the playlist i think you're going to get a lot of different things which maybe don't work together there's also that element of people just choosing what they like rather than what fits with the context of the store Um, and that i mean as i mentioned before is 
the most important aspect of of curating playlists. Weirdly, actually, we do this with a couple of our brands. We have a time in the morning where staff can curate their own playlist and that plays up until the moment that the doors actually open. And it almost allows them to control music and have an input musically. But when the time comes to open the doors, it's this branded experience that begins. And so that's really the best of both worlds, because, of course, we want people to be involved. We want people to to give their opinions. But at the same time, we need to remember that we're curating for the brand and not for the people who work for the brand. It's almost like a placebo choice you're giving them, which I like. (laughs) (laughs) You can choose the music, but only when there's no one here. But I like it. I'm sure it works as well. And, And if we were to compare track lists, you would be able to see within seconds why um, <laughs> you wouldn't have the staff playlist playing when customers are in. Just track selection alone, um, you can really see the difference. We love all music. All music is acceptable. We need to call time when the, this branded experience um, begins and ends. Makes sense. Good answer. There's two more questions left and they're actually kind of zooming out a bit, which is probably quite fitting as we come to the end of the, um, well, the end of the whole series. What are the main behaviour patterns to encourage in customers shopping in retail stores? So is there anything consistent? I know context is key, but are there any consistent things which typically you'll aim for? when talking to retail? I think one of the common things is you want people to be in a good mood. I can't think of any example where you want people to be in a bad mood. That's different to feeling stressed, rushed. Actually, there are times, like I mentioned, where you might want people to feel like they, you know, feeling the pressure a little bit to encourage impulse. But mood specifically, you want people to be in a good mood. You want people to have a good impression. You want them to be malleable. So, you know, mood is a common one. But that can be achieved with any choice of music. It's more about the arrangement of the tracks. And we have something called arousal and valence, which is sort of energy and happiness of a track. And typically we'll target playlists in a certain area on that sort of X, Y chart. But ultimately it's the arrangement of tracks that are having the right mood feeling. I, I, I was going to say a, a, a dominating mood, but like multiple moods as well. Just in recent um, projects that we've done, there's this um, association with high energy music equating to energy within store. And actually, um, like Adam had mentioned earlier with ISO principle, that can just completely have the opposite effect. Um, so I think multiple different moods, but sequenced appropriately is the most powerful for me yeah i think mood is definitely the most important one in that context as this idea of emotional contagion it's sort of a mirroring concept so the the mood that a, a track portrays is likely to induce those feelings within the listener so that nice sort of you're hearing it, you're feeling it, that connection between you and the music. I think mood is particularly important within retail. I also think designing immersive experiences in retail is really important as well because of how synonymous retail is with daily life. You want to be creating experiences that are more likely to result in people returning to that store in future. You don't necessarily want it to be a one-time thing. Cool, good answers. Final one is really a nod to those who do things well and we had a few in episode two 
But the final question is, what are some examples of well-known retailers using music to create a more positive shopping experience? But I can't think of any stores that we don't do that, that don't have very good music apart from H&M. I think working in the space that I do, I think I'm more attuned to going into a store and listening straight away to what's playing. And considering I can't necessarily think of any standout moments um, where I've been in a shop and been like, wow, that music is bloody good. I think that does highlight a definite pitfall in the background music in, in, in terms of how, how people view background music and the intention they put into it. I think also there's um, stepping aside from what they're playing. I think how they're playing it is important. There's way too many tinny ceiling mounted speakers where you just have no depth of music. Um, And I find actually what's really noticeable is when you go into a retailer, so, you know, Superdry comes to mind, they have bass, they've invested in good speakers and you can feel depth to the music, whether the music is any good or not. um, You know, I can't, I can't really comment, but the depth of music is there and that in itself is impactful. And I think sets a perception of quality actually. So if you were playing good music through bad speakers all you're doing is setting an impression that we're cheap the quality's not good so what i find most noticeable is music played well as well as the music that's actually played i think that's absolutely right i remember going to a conference and there was a speaker talking about the weight of cutlery i don't really know what conference i'd walked in on but um they're essentially saying if you have a Michelin star meal with plastic cutlery, it's going to taste significantly worse than if you've got really nice, weighty silver cutlery. So it's, it's a similar sort of process. Yeah, I imagine champagne drunk out of a Sports Direct mug doesn't taste quite as nice <laughs> as it could do. Plus, it'd make you very drunk the size of those <laughs> mugs. Um, the same applies to wine, actually. So if you go to a restaurant, you order wine and they decant it into like a really oddly bulbous bottle. I don't know what it's called. I'm not a wine drinker. Um, but it's very heavy. A heavier wine tastes better. A heavier wine bottle tastes better than a wine from a lighter one. It doesn't. It's just our perception of that taste. Very, very interesting. Um, there's lots of things. Also, like um, missing pounds and decimal points off menus and so on. You can have a perception to sort of price and so on. So there is a link to the book on this episode's listing how else can people get more startle adam what's the best way to get in touch head over to our website for our contact details or follow us on social just search for startle music on most of the normal channels we share a lot of behavioral insights as well as what we're up to as a company so always interesting uh, to follow but the book is free at the moment pre-release so head over to the link grab your copy before we start flogging them on amazon Perfect. Well, that's a wrap on this special mini series with Startle. So a big thank you to Adam, James and Magnus for turning up the volume on all things behavioural science, music curation and the power of sound for business and brands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks to everyone for spinning along with this call to action sponsored spin-off. Next time, we'll be sticking our nose into someone else's remarkable business. But in the meantime, please do send in any questions you have or any inspiring businesses you think we should feature to call to action at gasp.agency.